Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson, and this week I have a special treat. Jesper and Martin together, the dream team. Jesper, uh, chief executive, who as president of Hills Co., the pet food company, is a part of the Colgate Palmolive Network, has seen a transformation in how people show up for their pets, how we feed them and love them, and most importantly, how we treat each other as humans so we can do a better job serving man and woman's best friend. With him today is a leader in brand and consumer marketing, the person who's really helped many companies unravel what it really means to have impact on consumers, Martin Lindstrom. Together, they make the dream team, talking about transformation when it comes from the heart, soul, and the consumer. I'm with Jesper and Martin, and you've been anticipating a great conversation today about how to be connected with customers from the C-suite. Uh, Jesper has been an extraordinary leader in his organization at a company that has a great brand, and he's been taking that company to the next level by engaging his board and his team in really bringing that customer centricity to all of the different stakeholders, all the different types of customers that they serve well ahead of uh, the innovation or competition of others. And Martin Lindstrom has been an icon in the brand management and development and innovation space. And so I thought the two of them together would make an extraordinary conversation. So welcome both of you gentlemen to, to this conversation today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I was really wanting to start with you, Jesper, to, to say something about the experience of lighting up a team and also engaging the senior management and the parent company in, in these conversations around the customer and how they're evolving. And uh, perhaps you could take a moment to reflect on how that is to really take that world-class set of executives and start to infect them uh, with ways to feel that they are, are going to be able to grow the company in, in the ways that you've been seeing in the marketplace today. Yeah, no, it, it's um, for, for us here at uh, at, at Hills. Uh, it's been an, an interesting interesting journey. Uh, I think it really started with a strong sense of purpose. Answer that mm. question: Why are we all here? And we, we're fortunate enough that we 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 serve pets, cats and dogs every day, uh, and uh, and we employ a lot of veterinarians because we we come from the veterinarian space. So there is a very very strong sense of purpose in the organization, and that's really where it it all starts, right? And then uh, taking that purpose and turning it into you know how can we be more households and how can we get more pets to enjoy what we do. Uh, has really been a rallying cry for, for our organization. It has helped us to drive the focus that we needed to have uh, and also make the tough decisions to make sure we stayed the course and we invested where in the things that we were really uh, good at. So that that's the, the, the part I controlled. And obviously we have a parent company that uh, we have to engage and make sure that they are excited about our journey. And I think the path here has really been to make sure everybody understands the potential we have and gets excited about the potential we have right and that's a journey when you've been hovering around two three percent growth for years and then suddenly get everybody to say no we should be a double digit growth business and here's why um, mm. and then once you get there then it completely changes the the energy and the narrative around your business it also puts more pressure right because we're basically saying 
we need to grow faster than the rest of the company and we should uh, uh, assign the investments accordingly but then we also got to deliver uh, but we we carry that that uh, responsibility with smile and uh, because we think we, we we should because of the category in and because of the brands and the products that we that that we that we sell you must be in a very tricky situation on one hand you're growing very rapidly in the hill setup then you have Colgate, which is this old, somewhat dusty organization, right? Which have their set way of doing things. How do you, there's two questions here. How do you engage senior management at the Colgate level to get enough mandate on your side to do what you want to do? And second, what do Colgate do to take that entrepreneurship you have and utilize that in the way they work rather than being two separate units where actually that entrepreneurship, which is so valuable, is just missed as an opportunity from the Colgate holding uh, company's point of view. Yeah, no, so so A, actually, I, I don't think Colgate is an, is an old and dusty organization. I think it's actually a technology company. And uh, the, the fact that, you know, it was not my decision to go and run Hills. I was assigned because someone said, we, we need someone with Jesper's background uh, to go and, and create that environment. And I think a lot of what you see at Hills is a prejudice for the future, being we've been at the forefront of digital transformation. We master virtual detailing. Before COVID hit, we were already living that, right? And a very, very strong focus on e-commerce. Our category just lent itself better to that and also actually taking those learnings and some things work, some things won't, but then we take those case studies back and it is being deployed on the categories with more uh, in more mature markets in, in more mature categories but uh, we are we are at the center of Colgate strategy so in many ways someone has really thought about what does what we do mean for the broader company fantastic Does that answer your question it did it did yeah. i'm just so curious because if you take a look at a, a, a group like Walmart, as you know, they've been through a tremendous challenge at getting into the e-commerce commerce space and yeah. they failed three times, right, before they got yeah. it right. And and I, I'm not sure what the final model really is, but but they first had an in-house and had a semi-in-house and had an out-of-house. And I'm just constantly curious to see how do you take the, the entrepreneurial spirit and infuse it into old classic FMCG operators so yeah. that they're not sort of bypassing or missing that opportunity, yeah. which really is the gold you're holding on the other yeah. hand, right? I, I think a big part of it, and Walmart is a great example, and I actually think Walmart has a lot of potential because we, we talk about a lot about e-com, it's really about availability. And uh, and in the US, there's a, I think there's a Walmart within 10 minutes of every household in the country. So you have that combination of brick and mortar and and online, which I think will be extremely powerful. I, I think when you when you innovate in in more established organization, I, I think you gotta. You, you, it, it's a little bit harder because it's kind of like sometimes the immune system is pushing back, right? Because things are set up in a certain way, and we've been remunerated for things in a certain way. So I think recognizing that and being ready to disrupt it is key. One of the things I'm very focused on in my business is when we build new capabilities what do we let go of because if i just built everything new on top of what we have these things will be fighting for resources so you got to say you know in the area of insights right if things are more data uh, and analytics now because of how we we, we generate we can generate we can get data first party data we can leverage that to generate insights 
what are some of the things we will not be doing that we used to do 10 years ago and probably kept as a legacy? I think that process is immensely important as you, as you innovate because A, that's the resource allocation, but more importantly, you, you want to remove the undercurrent of resistance against the new thinking. And you want to create a very tolerant culture where people who look different, think different, talk different, actually have a seat at the table and can influence you. And if it's all the same people who got us to where we are today, uh, then you, you won't be getting it in, getting into the future at the pace that you, you want to get there, right? I think uh, uh, Marshall Goldsmith has this saying, what got you here won't get you there, which I, I, I use a lot in my head every day because it's so true, right? That, that especially in the day and age we live in, you've got to be ready to sacrifice some of the old structures to build the new ones. It's been interesting to see in this marketplace right now, the adoption of digital at an accelerated pace, given the circumstances we were all facing. In a sense, the maybe necessity is, uh, is the mother of that kind of reinvention. And that sort of process is the new normal. Is there been an opportunity then for there to be some kind of fear of missing out, the FOMO? Uh, that rises in an organization when they see those parts of the organization that have been able to attract uh, the growth and make the adoption quick. Now, of course, I realize you were probably a 20-month or 20-year overnight success. <laughs> Just because you're able to yield, harvest that success, you'd need the investment. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, it, it's interesting, right? Because I, I really think COVID probably pushed us a couple of years forward in terms of the adoption of, of e-com in the sense of, and, and digital in general, right? That people who are still not really living in that world are now being pushed into, into, into that world. And obviously companies and organizations that already had the infrastructures in place and the thinking uh, are, are probably benefiting a lot uh, in, the, in, in the current environment. But I, I still believe that uh, a big part of this will still be in the omni world. Sometimes you will be digital, Sometimes you will be you, you will be analog, uh, and it's about making it as easy as possible to buy your products at every given moment, right? You will have people being in a store, not finding what they're looking for, so they will Google you, and then when you when they land on your site, they need to be in your basket within two clicks. Those are the kind of things we need to to think about internally. I think it has, if there was ever a yes but. Uh, mentality around digital commerce and what have you, I think that's gone. I, th I think even the markets that are that 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 so far have been less impacted and disrupted, if you will, uh, with uh, with the digital commerce, are now seeing a lot of new businesses come up. Whether it is uh, whether it is the, the last la the last milers, whether it is uh, specific e-com platforms or other things. And I, our entire organization is now leaning into this heavily. And I, I'm really excited to see how we build capability, uh, not only in, in my business, but across the entire company in this space and, and how people lean into not only the usual suspects like a Walmart and an Amazon and so forth, but also the local emerging players that come up with great ideas, great business models. When you think about the engagement with the customer and the engagement with the internal team, can you both talk about the transformation as it relates to how the board members and their governance has impacted the, the way they show up for being a board member? I know that yeah, in no, the limit. I, yeah. I've been very impressed with, with, with our board and the, the way they, they, they engage. I think we have a, a very diverse board. We have people who come from 
more of a tech background, which is very useful. We have people who come more from a CPG background, and we have people from the area of animal health, animal health space. And 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 uh, you know, when when you show up at, at our board, you know, you you can expect a really lively conversation that's very strategic and 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 it's very interesting to see how people bring th their backgrounds with them. And I think that's very rewarding for me um, that, that you have people with these kind of, of experiences and networks that can help us kind of reimagine our business, rethink mm. ourselves. And sometimes you also need, right, when we're all in the middle of it every day uh, and we think we are, we, we, we're going for, 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 for gold, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have someone else say, yeah, that's great. I think you could do even better. Right, and then it try and give you that perspective, and that's hugely motivating. So I think the role that that, that a board plays in in these type of uh, of situations is is really key, and we we we're seeing it. Right, that I'm I'm encouraged with how much our board believes in our business, in our business model, um, and and uh, and how we all agree that that we we have a lot more growth to uh, to, to 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 be had, to to deliver. Mm, makes sense. Martin, are you seeing kind of the relationship with the, the members of the board becoming greater or less engaged in the kind of work that you're doing with senior management uh, and customers? It's interesting to see the variation in the level of engagement. Number one, I do think that the Fortune 1000 companies in general are more busy on securing that they have the sustainability issues, they have the whole Me Too moment, they have the diversity issues. They have all that, all those tick the boxes in our generation fixed. That's what I see in general for the very large companies. When it comes to startups and tech companies, they are, as Jesper is saying, much more focused on what can we add beside the due diligence? What can we do in order to encourage and infuse uh, inspiration and lift the bar more to, to the senior management so they actually get the best environment to operate within? How can we be a safety net under them? And how can we be a mentor to our senior leadership? So I do see two different sets of boards, so to speak. The classic old fashioned one, which don't have the house in order, which are desperate to do it. And the young one, which actually by default have the house in order because they are born and raised in another age where diversity um, is less of a topic because it's baked into the potting, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about the, the transformation going on with customers and, and the digital platforms and also what's going on in the world as you frame it, Jesper, tell me about how you've been managing to recruit and start to develop a team globally because you should be one who is doing a level of uh, intimacy with customers in so many cultures and markets. Could you share us a little bit about your journey uh, coming through the organization and then now how you're paying that forward with your team? Yeah, no, so my, my journey is probably a little bit uh, unusual because I, I, I started with Colgate when I was 19 uh, as an apprentice in um, I'm a native Dane in, in the office there. So I've basically done it all. I delivered the mail. I've been in the reception. I, as summer, I was down at the plant. I've been out in the field and then uh, I started studying at Copenhagen Business School, and I, I kept working for Colgate. But and I then landed in in the commercial space, marketing and sales. And then my, my journey has really been: I'm a marketer by trade and an innovator, and I probably spent the biggest part of my career uh, developing products, business models, um, and doing brand building. Um, and that was also how I entered the Hills organization, 
uh, I was living in, in Paris at the time, running uh, Colgate All Care for Europe. And they called me and said if I wanted to move to Topeka. And I had to get the map out and see where Topeka was and had never been <laughs> west of Chicago. Uh, but we, uh, I, t- I took the job without even visiting uh, because I was so excited about what it was. It was the CMO of the Hills organization and, uh, you know, cats and dogs every day who cannot be excited about that. You can bring your pet to work. And uh, this was really what I wanted to do. And then my journey here has been four years as a CMO, two years running the US company, and now two years as the, as the CEO of the, of the company. And I, I think my background as a marketer has been immensely helpful in, in this journey, right? You cannot help but when you take your first GM job to be a little bit intimidated by customers and the sales. But actually my customers, they're really excited that I'm a marketer and that I, because what they want to talk about is how can we reimagine our categories? How can we drive more growth? How can we work together? So relatively quickly, I managed to form really close relationship with the with the key players uh, around the world, uh, and and really we leverage each other to think about how how can we how can we come up with even better ideas, better solutions for pets. And we're all very passionate about the pet specialty space, which is where we operate, right? So we kind of have that common ground, and that has really galvanized relationships. Uh, around the world. It, it is obviously key when you run a global organization as we do, and we're based here right in the middle of America, that we keep a global footprint. So that's one of the things that we spend a lot of time and also money um, making sure is the case, right? That we have people a little bit like myself uh, growing up through the organization, getting difficult, uh, different uh, and also difficult experiences uh, around the world, and then bringing them in here uh, to our global team so that they, we are represented by the Europeans, the Japanese, the Australians, and so forth. And in our, our headquarter here in Kansas, I think we have 20 or 25 different passports represented, which is quite unique. It's, it's always fun to have some local organizations come in and visit us, and they're all excited about all these different accents uh, and, and how international our environment feels. So that, that is, I think, is a very, very, very important part of our model. The other part, which I think has been really true also here in COVID, you've got to make sure you have people that you trust in, in the right jobs, right? So I cannot run Japan from here. So I got to make sure that the person who runs Japan is someone that I'm super comfortable with and that he or she is comfortable with me so that we have that, that relationship. And th- that has really been a key thing in, in my leadership philosophy that if I'm not comfortable, I'll make the change. Uh, but if I trust you, I trust you, and then uh, you also empowered to run, uh, and that that has proven extremely powerful, especially in a time where we can't travel. Uh, that I, I we haven't had any hiccups because we, we work super well together across our geographies, and there's not a lot of hierarchy in politics. We we pick up the phone or, or jump on a on a hangout if we need to talk, and we get things done. I've seen you invest quite a bit in your team, too, as they've evolved uh, as well. And you have now women and men who are, are leading the organization and taking it into the, the next phase of the race. Have you seen differences in the last couple of years in that regard in terms of the type of people and, and how they're showing up for work? Yeah, I, I mean, we, I think we have, um, we, we, we've have a, we have a very vibrant leadership team. It's, it's very diverse in in you know where you know how you know journey of your career, uh, we we you know in terms of men, women, different backgrounds, and and I'm really excited that my entire leadership team is a team with a lot of runway, 
uh, and with a lot of international experience. And, um, and that, that makes me really proud, but also confident about our future because that's the type of group that I think can really reimagine a business also beyond what we're going on right what, what we have going on right now and take us into uh, a, a very uh, interesting you know 20 20 30 proposition or, or whatever it might be but but we we've we spend a lot of time uh upgrading upskilling our talent we invested in in um in in getting the, the right digital marketers on board and empowering them so that they report directly up to the to the decision makers we're investing a lot in, in data and analytics, these kind of, of, of roles, not just repurposing talent from the inside. No, we hired a lot of great people from the outside and that has created a, a fantastic uh, energy. We experimented with different ways of working with customer teams, working directly with e-tailers and, and also more traditional brick and mortar customers, reimagining the businesses with them, which is driving a lot of, uh, of growth and great energy in the, in the organization. The interesting part of that journey has really been empowerment because in a, in a, in a big organization, more traditional organization, we brought up with a little bit of a command and control model. And you will remember from the, the work we, we've done recently that I'm very, I'm very interested in distributed authority, right? We, we agree on, we call it the sandbox, what the strategy is. Within that sandbox, if you will, you're free to execute. You, you don't have to come and ask me for permission. And then we will course correct as we learn. Uh, and that has been very interesting. It's been a little bit difficult for the organization to adopt to start with. But now it's working and we get much faster, more agile. And you know what? A lot of the times when people don't come and ask you for permission, they actually come up with better solutions uh, that we can then take and share with other parts of the, of, of the world. So I think that is extremely powerful. And again, very timely when you think of the world we live in, that even if we, we say that by the end of this year, we all vaccinated, it will still be a while before I can, I can get my feet on the ground in Asia uh, and in, in, in Europe, probably, right, without having to quarantine and do all kinds of things. So having that kind of mentality is going to make us move fast and, and deliver better results. And you know what? I, I think actually people have more fun working in an environment like that. And I can see that creativity is uh, at a place where we, we haven't seen it uh, for a long time. I, I'm inspired by the way you're going to reach out and, and build up that talent. And this idea of innovation often comes with its own double-edged sword with people thinking about they're going to be out of the box and then the organization not feeling safe to allow that innovation to occur. And so here yeah. you have the, the, the distance actually adding to the, and the empowerment adding to the, uh, the capacity to do more and, and be more. You know, Martin, I imagine you're seeing this around the world with many, many brands, uh, the upskilling of the talent or the, the, the changing of the talent next that allows them as organizations and senior management to embrace uh, these principles of, of, of growth and, and brand connection that, that you've been evangelizing. Could you comment on kind of some of the best and worst practices that you're seeing in that regard in terms of how to engage the team to do that? Well, I, I think to build on what Jesper is saying with a sandbox metaphor that mm. it, it is a very big issue. I, I think one of the things I've learned over the last decade or so is that giving people a mandate doesn't mean they will take the mandate. Uh, in fact, quite often they won't take the mandate because their fear, the fear of the unknown, that psychological safety is, as uh, Edmondson is talking about. Um, so the worst case scenario for me is when the senior leadership believes that they're given a mandate, 
they're giving it to the people just underneath. And then you have the frozen middle, which is paralyzing everything. Not because they're evil people, don't get me wrong, but because typically they're caught to the bone. Typically they are afraid because fear is very prominent in the organization. So the leadership runs ahead thinking they're given a mandate. And then they realize halfway down the track, there is no mandate which have been picked up on. They get extraordinarily frustrated. And then they have some strange dynamics going on. That's the worst case scenario. But I have to tell you, that worst case scenario, in my opinion, is 90% of our clients today. It's, it's pretty hard. And, and that's what I call, as you know, the chicken cage syndrome, coming back to that philosophy of chickens being put into a cage for half a year. And one day they're let out on the beautiful green grass where the sun is shining and they walk out. And guess what? They walk straight back in again after 30 seconds because they don't want that change to happen. right? So. One of the things I've learned in order to get around that stuff is to use empathy as a weapon. And empathy, as you know, is all about placing yourself in the shoes of the customer and feel what the customer is feeling. And I think the best way for me to illustrate that, and Jesper would perhaps recognize this because it's one of his key competitors, which is one of the larger, if not the largest food company in, in, in the world in the FMCG case. And, and these guys... I remember very clearly we had a board meeting uh, with them and they had conducted a research study with 19,000 consumers. And the day after the CEO of the company and I went to China and we moved in with a home of a Chinese consumer in Shanghai. Her name was Jenny. I'll never forget Jenny. And Jenny, uh, she was a wonderful lady. Um, and uh, you know, the CEO of this company and myself were sleeping on the floor, literally in a sleeping bag all the night and we studied uh, Jenny and we had a very good dynamics and we learned a lot from this exercise. During this exercise, now I asked Jenny one question and it was uh, by pure coincidence, she came up with this remarkable answer and it actually sparked an entire new way of innovating within this company. And I remember the CEO looked at me and we could just feel this is, this is important. So we went back to the, to the headquarters and we had a board meeting going on. And I was an observer sitting on the side of this very serious board meeting. And the board asked the CEO, so what did these you know, nearly 20,000 consumer insight visits, what did they tell you from that quantitative study? And he said, do you know what? Here's the report. I'm going to throw it out. And he literally threw it out in the bin. And he said, I learned more from the visit from Jenny than I did from that stuff. And here's what we did. We made a mandate in this organization, which had around 350,000 staff. We made a, a mandate with this organization that every single employee being joined by this company uh, should spend at least two days in the home of a consumer uh, somewhere in the world every year. And that became a global you know, standard. And around today, around 60 to 65% of the employees worldwide are doing it. Everything from the warehouse to the operational function to the HR is visiting uh, the consumer. And what happened was that the whole organization completely changed from this, what I call the inside out point of view to an outside in point of view, where suddenly they took the mandate because they realized the boss is not the CEO, it's the consumer yeah. and they're paying the salary. And that completely changed the mindset. Now you have to maintain this mindset. I don't need to tell you. I think a lot of CEOs, I'm sure it's not Jesper because you no, know, you get it, Jesper. But a lot of CEOs kind of think, "Oh, we ticked the consumer box now. Now we can move on to how business actually had to be done, right?" But what I saw time after time was once people felt—that's the empathy part—felt the pain the consumer had, felt the fear, felt the anxiety, felt the love for a dog or whatever it is, then suddenly they could make decisions and they could always say, 
that's how they feel. So I feel mm. safe to make that decision. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great example, Martin. And 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 um, and and you you know I was smiling when you when you talked about the frozen middle because that, that that's really been my biggest focus in the things that we've been doing. I think it also takes um, a certain degree of self-realization or self-awareness that even though we are at the top of the organization, we, we're not in probably 90% of the day-to-day -day conversations and decision makings in the, in the, in the company, right? So unless you, unless you get that, the middle managers, those who really run the day-to-day -day with you, it, it, it won't work, right? And I love this idea uh, of the, of the uh, outside in. It's one of my concerns though, with the whole COVID thing is that I feel that we all become more internally focused because you don't have that, it's hard to get out, right? And, uh, and doing it digitally is, is harder. So, so it's one of the things that, that really keeps me awake is how do we not lose the momentum on generating the empathy that you're talking about? Yeah, and do you know what? It's, it's a very, very good question. And, and I'm losing sleep about that too, because remember a year ago, I literally was sitting on a plane 300 days a year. Uh, doing consumer insight work with our clients and we basically had a hard stuff right to yeah. zero right yeah. and so so here's what i've learned through this process um one of the things we do this is a trick which works very well one of the things we're doing is that we actually ask um the consumers to find a good friend and the good friend will have an iphone or whatever and we'll go into the home of that friend because they're allowed to do it because of COVID-19. And then what they're doing is that they are connecting with us. And then we literally have an employee from the company being in the ear of the friend and the friend is interviewing the friend through the phone and we will be there listening into the conversation. And so what we're doing around the world is we've established these panels where we have five employees per one consumer. So if, if you have an organization with, let's say, 50,000 employees, we would typically have around 5,000 consumer panels, all of them live, where you at any given time can plug into live consumers yourself and see what the problem is. So I had an issue uh, the other day, in fact, in the pet space, um, where, where the question was, um, how, much does consumers, how much do consumers believe that food is not fresh when it's not in the fridge for pets, let's say? A classic question there, right? And and there was a huge debate between the Japanese market and um, and the market in China because they have very different views uh, on it, as I'm sure you're very aware of. And and uh, then instead of us arguing and going to Nelson and Gallup and whatever and doing a survey, we literally just plucked into this panel and we had five Chinese and five Japanese consumers coming up on the screen and they were all buddies with our team. And immediately we asked them and we got a really strong sense of what the mindset was. Now, is that the black and white yes and no answer? No, it's not. But it, it sparked an instinct with yeah. us, being able, helping us to get into the mindset again, because we've already spent time in the consumer home two years prior to that. So we kind of say, oh, yeah, that's right. That was how they're thinking. And then it's sort of, it's almost like we're doing a synchronization onto 2021 now. We sort of yeah. had the data coming on board, right? <laughs> That really helped very, very much. So I would strongly recommend you to, to do that because here's the issue. I think the fear, the fear I have right now in our world is that we, after COVID-19, whenever and whatever that means, uh, we will probably learn that it was so comfortable sitting behind the screens and management yeah. will say, well, you learn, you save all this money. McKinsey goes out and say, productivity is going up 200%. <laughs> 
Well, it's BS. You know that. I know that. There's yeah. no product because creativity disappeared 200% as well along the way, right? So, so what, what I sort of uh, am saying here is that the chicken cage syndrome will happen for employees in their homes as well. That we're sitting here, we spoon fed through these data we get on spreadsheet. So you need to create a, a program detoxing people back to the real world again, yeah. I think. And, and you know, I tend to say there's no going back to work. I call it going forward to work. So what does it mean once everyone has the vaccine? How do you migrate people back into the new world? And what does it mean? What are we going to take from the old world, which were really good? And what are we definitely not going to replicate? Because that was crappy and it never really worked. And then it's almost like we have an official onboarding into the new company. I think a lot of CEOs are probably not doing it because we're so busy surviving and thinking yeah. at the moment. That's certainly what I'll do. I'm not sure what your thinking is around that. No, I, I think you're spot on. And, and I think it's going to need some reimagining and then also some push or we will kind of keep doing what we're doing right now. And, and actually Mark helped me with an event back in November with my team because I, I felt a need to get out of the trenches, out of the firefighting and just get up to the surface and say, okay, where are we headed? And are we running the right direction? What opportunities have come up? What have we learned? And that was, uh, I think, you know, Mark was there remotely. He, he dialed in and it, it was really, it, it was really powerful to suddenly have people talk about strategy again, instead of just firefighting, what are the daily uh, COVID numbers and, and so forth. And I, I think it's, it's, there's a danger that you stay in that firefighting mode and you don't really, and, and you drift because, and you, you overlook things because you're so busy just managing the day-to-day -day and you're not as connected. I mean, I'll say working remotely works well for us, but can it replace the world we, we know? Not at all, right? You know, a, a big meeting, it's a couple of people who talk. I, you, you don't have the same visibility of body languages. You don't have the same flex for different styles and get everybody part of the conversation. Um, I, I do think it's very important to, to do what you suggest, to create a safe environment, to get out of the cage again and be comfortable going on grass uh, and, and, uh, and be excited about that, 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 that freedom and that opportunity to, 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 to drive that empathy that gives you the right instincts to make good decisions. And, and quite frankly, I also do think there's another thing happening, which I'm sure you will agree a lot with me on, because I have a sense of you are of that mindset. That creativity right now, in my opinion, is on a free fall um, because we're spoon fed with or dictated by Microsoft Teams next meeting, being there on the hour, that type of thing. And then at eight o'clock in the night, we throw ourselves at the couch exhausted and then we had to do the work here. Right. Um, and I think I think that is a key challenge we have because I think the culture is collapsing along with that um, because you are only one link away from finding another job, right? And I, I'm certainly the trend I'm seeing a lot in China now is that almost everyone is building their personal brand because they realized, in fact, they're pretty vulnerable. They could be kicked out you know, just with a click. Um, so one of the things I think is, is very important to, to ask yourself is, of course, how do you revitalize the culture in the organization, which can restrain the challenges of having a lot of screen-based communication. And, and with that, I mean, you don't have the water cooler moment anymore. You don't yeah. have the walk to the office anymore or the you know, post-evaluation after the meeting or that casual conversation in the canteen, which in the old days were considered as unproductive by the CFO. 
but which I think we realized is actually the emotional glue almost helping us to synchronize between people. And so, so I think there's a new set of rules we need to introduce, a new way of working together. One of the things I'd done with one of our clients in, in the US, which is one of the larger food distribution companies, I basically said to them, because they were in back-to-back -back teams call from eight o'clock to eight o'clock, right? Basically the whole day and people were exhausted in the end. Yeah. And we basically banned teams until 1 p.m. So today there's no teams going on until 1 p.m. Because people need to have a pause. They need yeah. to think. They need to reflect. You can't be creative in this environment. And another thing we did was we, uh, two things actually. One was we always are ensuring that when people have done their calls, that do post one-on-one -on -one calls with people in the meeting. It's a little bit like, Oh, Jesper, what did you think about that guy in the meeting? Was he on board? That type of conversation is gone now, right? Yeah. That conversation has to come back because that's the way we synchronize our views. Yeah. So we always now establish these post calls individually between people, right? Um, and another, another thing we also do is we ensure that every meeting is 25 minutes now. Um, and there's always <laughs> agenda and always only three things coming out of it. And is it kept every time? No, we introduced it with JD Group uh, in, in China, which as you know, is a, a very big, uh, like Amazon yeah. in China. We introduced it there and they have what's called the three free rule now. And then around 65% of that organization is doing it, but it sets a, a precedence internally that, you know what, these meetings where you just hang on for the sake of hanging on, get out of there, right? Yeah. And Preserve what you're good at, which is creativity, and then use all those back-to-back -back meetings as a way of just ticking boxes and doing the housekeeping, right? Yeah, that's some really good thoughts there. And uh, I think we all live this whole tyranny of the screen, right? And being completely fried when you, yeah. you know, at the at the end of the day, uh, and and also not bookending the day. I think is another thing we see that people actually are missing the commute because that was kind of a bookend, right? Um, so uh, so I do think you you you're right to to experiment with different ways of retaining the creativity um, and, and also the, the culture uh, as we go through, as we go through, through, through this, you know, I, I gotta admit, I, I really look forward to the day where at least we can be more of a hybrid. Uh, I, I do miss being in, in the room with, with people. And it was interesting. We had, when we ran our session in November, a part of the group was there in person and it was like a high school reunion. I mean, everybody yeah. were so happy to see each other. I think Mike felt, uh, Mark felt it uh, on through the, through the screen. So yeah. it but was just, we're intrinsically social creatures and, um, and it, it ends up being um, uh, this hybrid anyway, because prior to any crisis, we had already had kind of an uneven or less democratic distribution of virtual and in person. There was always the estranged regions or the estranged <laughs> international operations and, and the important conversations happening in the room. And of course, the, open, the most important conversation is what Martin was talking about, which is that it's happening in every consumer's home or in every decision that the, your business um, is, is facing with serving those cust enterprise customers. <laughs> I'd love to be able to... Yes, go ahead, Martin. Interrupting, I'm sorry, but that delay here. I want to ask one, one thing, you know, I have one question for you, which also is a reflection at the same time. One, one of the things, as you may or may not be aware of, I'm very focused on is what I call small data, which is seemingly insignificant observation you make in people's lives. And I fundamentally believe that we're all out of balance and it's the out of balance which represents a gap for a new opportunity, a new product or a new need. 
Um, mm. And one of the things I've been most struck about is, is a theory which I, I worked a little bit on last year, which I call the entry point theory. So as you know, in, in marketing, we talked a lot about entry points. We have seven entry points, a, a remarkable thing happening in our life, which suddenly changes our entire purchase behavior, like moving away from home or you get your first newborn baby and everything is baby strollers, right? And suddenly you just go on another track. Now, one of the, the theories I have is that I believe we, for the first time in recent memory, are now entering an eighth entry point, a global synchronized behavioral change, which is happening because of an interesting observation. And I made this observation in Sydney some, some time ago, just when COVID broke through, where I noticed that this old lady approached a stranger's dog and started to, to touch it. And I really think, didn't think a lot about it before I saw exactly the same thing happening elsewhere in the city two days later. And um, then I realized with the small data that in fact that was a play because a lot of studies showing that touch is directly correlated with our life expectancy. The more you touch, the longer you live. And there's studies done with rats, which is showing that if they're touched more, they actually live almost twice as long. Um, so what I realized is we in our society are out of balance. And then, of course, you will say, where the heck am I getting at this conversation now? But what I'm asking you is what we saw was that pet sales went up dramatically. And I'm sure you've seen that you know, enormously in your company. And also pet sales is going up because people were suppressing the sense of touch. We're not touching anyone. We couldn't hug anyone. So you're compensating that through uh, the interaction with, with the animals, among others, right? Um, so my question to you is, how the heck did you compensate for that in your company, given the fact that probably most of the people you employed are pet lovers and probably bring the dog and whatever with them to work and are very close to the animals, and yet you're completely suppressing the sense of touch? It must have caused a huge challenge. It, it, it has been a huge challenge. It still is a challenge. that We, we try to be... We, we, we tried to move very closely together during the, the pandemic. And actually what, what happened was, or what came out of it is, I sent a weekly video to all of Hills. Um, and I've done that since March of last year, every week since, uh, since then. Uh, where, and it, it started as a, as a need to just say, hey, what the heck is going on and what are we going to do about it? And then we, we started to just get small video clips from around the world. It started with uh, our team... In, in Shanghai, one of the leaders there being stuck in Wuhan. And he sent them a video talking about the experience. And then we, we started then creating, every week we get small video clips from around the world on what's going on. And I host it like, uh, like a news uh, host and, and share it once a week. I shoot it right here in this setting. And then I have someone just help me edit it. But that, that's one, one thing we, we've done, which I think compensates a little bit from the, from the touch. It's not a human touch. But I think the fact that people see their colleagues from around the world uh, showing that empathy, whether it is the people in Madrid singing from the from the from the terraces or it is something else, that, that has kind of galvanized us as a as a as a unit. Uh, we, we try and, and get our middle managers to focus a lot on having team meetings with no agenda, just talk and do silly things and things like that, right? Uh, we we leverage our employee resource groups a lot. They have been fantastic for us in terms of uh, also onboarding new employees, right? We have something we call Jumpstart, which is people new to, to, to the company. Um, and, um, and they've done a great job in making everybody feel, feel welcome, even though they haven't met 
their manager probably in real life. You know, I onboarded an admin, uh, a personal assistant that that uh, I met for the first time a few weeks ago. Uh, but she worked for me now for nine months and she's amazing. And we're like, it's kind of like we've known each other forever. And it was funny, we had lunch and I said, so is it, what, what do you think? Is anything different? And she's like, yeah, I think you're a little bit taller than I thought. But, <laughs> but besides that, you know, this is exactly what kind of got through on the screen. So it is a, it is a huge um, challenge. And I think it puts more pressure on us as leaders to give more of ourselves, yeah. right? That, that we also show that we're struggling too that I, I, I have days where I'm a screen because I, 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 I'm, I'm under that screen tyranny, right? I get tired and we talk about it. We talk a lot about mental health, burnout, right? That, that this is tough. We're, we're social creatures and, um, and we, we put all kinds of, of, of programs in place where people can, can call, can engage with, if they have a need to talk about, to talk about uh, things. So I think, again, the, the good thing that came out of COVID is that we, we all had to really lean into uh, being not only yes for the, the executive, but yes for the human. I had a, a meeting here in other part of this room here uh, with a bunch of consultants, and I hadn't seen that then my daughter was dancing behind me. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, so people get a little bit of that, um, of that, like, oh, yes, but also has children. And, um, and, and I think that's, if you, if you kind of allow yourself to lean into it, it can compensate somewhat for us being together, but never completely, of course, right? Yeah. And then the good news is there will be a day where we can shake hands and give hugs and so forth again. And then if we take some of those things with us, I actually think you come out on the other side with a much stronger culture because now people see us for, for more things than just being the executive. And I think that, that, that allows us to engage in a different, on a different level. I agree with you. I'll tell you a fun story here. So um, I think it was three years, one of our clients is Merck. Um, and and uh, Mark, for your information, it's a Danish company. So we probably both. Yeah, no, a, great, a great shipping company. Yeah, a great global <laughs> shipping company. Still number one. Um, but um, we, we, we started our work with them to help them turn them around about three years ago. And uh, we, I think it was about nine months into our work. I was actually in Shanghai and all the screens went black. I literally, I was, I was in the call center and 1,000 screens went black. And uh, I said to the guy showing me around, is that normal? <laughs> he said, oh, no. And we realized this was a cyber attack. It was actually the largest cyber attack in history of a corporation. Uh, I remember that. It was horrible. Uh, so we spent a lot of time at, at the headquarters to figure out what to do. And, and he was, he's a very interesting thing. So the senior management for the first time ever had to get out of their offices because they couldn't email because emails didn't work. Facts, they had to use a fax and WhatsApp. That was the only way they could communicate. And they had to do the rounds of the offices twice a day. And there was, suddenly you did not have to go through these processes and structures to get approvals, which Merck is all about. They had to get rid of it because they couldn't do anything but just to, to, to go out and do stuff. And I went to, uh, to Hamburg where they have the, the German headquarter and um, we went into a meeting with one of their biggest clients. And I remember the client said to us, who are you? And they said, well, we're from Merck. We worked with them for 50 years. They've never seen Merck before, right? They said, oh, that's how you are. So we got close <laughs> to the client, right? And suddenly it changed Merck. It was remarkable. Then I did some global workshops for all the men, all the leaderships around the world. And I asked them, I think there were about 6,000 people. I asked them, how did it feel like with this cyber attack, knowing well that they had lost $2 billion on this whole exercise? 
And they all said, without a single exception, this is the best thing that's ever happened for Maersk. We wow. felt our Maersk came back again. Now, here's what happens. Then Maersk, everything was turned around and it really learned from that exercise. When COVID-19 hit, that was almost like we were preconditioned for this thing here. Immediately they went into that mindset. So as horrible as COVID-19 were, actually the, the cyber attack helped them. And as you know, the share price is up 300% over the last uh, month of the year alone for, for, for this whole turnaround. And for me, what I learned was sometimes let go of the damn processes and structures and compliance and rules and regulations and just move into trust people. You know, just because that's what you're talking about with the sandbox. Trust people for God's sake, yeah. but show it through the leadership, of course. Yeah, it's a good example. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank both of you gentlemen so much for this conversation because I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling the sense of uh, empathy that you have for the customer and for your teams uh, and all your stakeholders. You both made a, a lifetime commitment to being better connected. And I think about Martin's example of the cyber attacks or whether we're dealing with COVID, it certainly created another level of empathy because now we know what it feels like for the people outside the room when we have the video conference. Uh, we brought the outside in. It's been democratized yes. on the one hand. And now we have the opportunity to, as we prepare for the next rally of growth and for the inevitable uh, crises and attacks that we're going to have, that we can work in this wonderful hybrid environment where we're connected with people. We are starting to think more implicitly and I think more explicitly about the way we convene and the way we work with stakeholders. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We love you guys. Take care. Thank Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. And please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.